This is the 10th episode of the Drive-In Pod, take one. Howdy doody, welcome to the 10th episode of the Drive-In Pod, Double Digits Kid, we still here, we have a juiced up episode for all you listeners with a much anticipated review of the Trial of the Chicago 7, we have a checkup and trailer roundup as always, and we have a top billing for the best Aaron Sorkin movies, the Drive-In Boys delivering once again for you loyal listeners to sit back, relax, and enjoy the Drive-In Pod. Ricky Flicks, what a do. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Big news today. Big, big news today in the movie industry. Looking forward to chatting with you, Dr. O. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. I'm buzzing right now. I'm glad we're recording on a Thursday, switching it up a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm just, I think I, I, we have like an overwhelming amount of news, especially casting wise for the checkup. And I'm just pumped that we get to explore it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely too much news that we'll cover a little bit on the next episode, but we'll tackle some of the bigger bigger issues right now. But how about we get to it, huh? I'm too excited to keep it in right now. All right, let's get to it, brother. Um, so, Flex, we have so much casting news. I literally was typing up this checkup, and I thought my digits were about to fall off. We have, first off, leading off, Mr. Adam McKay, Okay, acclaimed director uh, of such hits as The Big Short, Vice, uh, Talladega Nights, Anchorman. We have him uniting an, yet another all-star cast for Netflix's uh, upcoming asteroid comedy, Don't Look Up, right? And Flix, brace yourself before I introduce this cast. Are you Hold okay? On. Holding. Ready? Ready. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill, yes. J-Law, Himesh Patel, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana wow. Grande, Kid Cudi, and Matthew Perry. Flex. Oh, my goodness. This and guy. Matthew Perry. Yes, I know. But uh, it, it's, 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 a good it's a solid addition. Uh, the story follows two low-level astronomers who embark on a media tour to warn mankind of an approaching asteroid that will destroy Earth. However, nobody believes them about the impending doom. This dark comedy does not have a production start date, though that uh, should be announced soon. Flex. Flex, what do we think about Adam McKay's upcoming dark comedy? The rumors are true. We talked about this earlier, previous pods, and the news is even bigger than was uh, rumorly reported. Timothy Chalamet joining this? Are you kidding me? Oh my Kid Cudi out of nowhere? Like, he's back. Like, there was a lot of issues with Kid Cudi, but he's back. Like, just he's doing movies now. Like, what is going on? My just brain a full-blown even, actor, bro. I can't just even. full-blown actor. I know, but when was the last time he was in a movie? I can't even think of the last time he was in a movie. Dude, uh, he, was, he was in the Entourage movie. Remember? He was a secretary. Oh, my gosh. Sam Farrell. But, okay. If we move it Everyone along Everyone was here. in the Entourage movie. Yeah, everyone. Gronk was in it, for God's sakes. Gentlemen. But 
huge cast. I'm looking forward to everything. I know there were also there was also news today with Chalamet um, in the West Anderson movie coming out. He's only going to be a minor role in that. So I'm glad that even though that was kind of downer news, him being included in this all-star cast boosted me right back up. So definitely excited for that. And all in all, huge cast, dark comedy, like we mentioned. We mentioned in previous pod how this is Leo kind of diversifying, progressing as a complete actor. Hell yeah. I just can't wait to see him in a movie with Jonah Hill. Because there's that famous picture of them running and hugging together, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Dude, like, they're actually going to be in a movie these again. Two. Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. Jordan Belfort, Donnie Azoff, back in the mix. And they were throwing J-Law in there. Are you kidding me? And Timothy Chalamet? That's it. Like, like, this is like the best ensemble cast on paper since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Isn't Ariana Grande in this too? Yeah, she's here. Oh, my God. I think I, yeah, I, I think I listed her. Did I forget to mention her? No, she's on here. Wow. So, uh, yeah, Ariana Grande. I don't know where she's going to fit in. Maybe she's playing herself in a little cameo. But uh, I'm pumped, man. This is, a, this is a different look for Leo. Let's get him in a comedy. He's introduced now to Netflix, too. Man that's known yeah. for destroying box offices without doing franchises is now going to be coming and taking over your living room. Yeah, and if we just don't get star, too starstruck at the moment right now, just from listing off the cast, let's, if we focus on the director here, Adam Kay, he has a lot to prove after Vice. And he even mentioned that with his comments saying uh, this week, saying that Vice was the bleakest thing he's ever worked on. So now he says he's pulling out the big guns with this huge all-star cast and this unique concept with this dark comedy with Leo starring in it. I can't wait to see it. And coming from Vice to this, wild. I think uh, Vice did get a lot of critical acclaim, but when we watched it together, Ricky Flicks, we weren't impressed. It didn't blow our socks off like the big short did. I think a lot of people overhyped Vice because they thought it was going to be like another rendition of the big short. It didn't have that um, excitement that built up from the big short from such a, like uh, the big short was such a boring idea. And Adam McKay came away with uh, just blowing the audience's mind, cracking them up. And just Creativity making at something, its finest. Yeah. Just making something more understandable and also entertaining from something that you wouldn't understand on a regular basis. Um, so I'm excited for this man. And he's getting back to his roots, straight up comedy. Let's go. Um, moving on. All right. More casting news. We have another, movie with another major director we have ridley scott and joaquin phoenix teaming up for kit bag which is going to be a bio biopic about french military leader napoleon bonaparte <laughs> phoenix is going to star in the lead role making for a gladiator reunion this comes just as scott is finishing up work on another period piece the last duel with ben affleck matt damon and adam driver mm-hmm. and uh this comes after phoenix won an oscar earlier this year for his work in the critically acclaimed Joker. Um, Flex, what do you think about Joaquin playing Napoleon? Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. He looks the part. He probably looks like the biggest Hollywood star and the, mo- the most Hollywood star that would be a perfect comp for Napoleon. You know, Joaquin's not the, necessarily the tallest guy either, so that's also beneficial. But the black hair, very uh, pale, and he's kind of crazy. And he's played that dictatorship role before in Gladiator and a Ridley Scott movie. So definitely looking forward to this and definitely looking forward to The Last Duel, which you mentioned was coming out next year uh, with that all-star cast with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, both also writing uh, The Last Duel as well. So so that combination coming in again, similar to when they won that Oscar for Google Hunting back in the late 90s. But going back to Joaquin and Ridley Scott here, 
this is a match made in heaven, obviously, from Gladiator. You saw that when they were together. And similar concept here, pre-modernization, like that middle age era, or not, not middle age, but you're better with history than me. But uh, whenever that was, the pre, pre-America. The yeah, we're pre- talking like 18th century here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I don't know. You're a history oh, wait, guy, wait, not wait. me. You're talking about Napoleon, right? Yeah, whatever, whatever era that was. Before there were cars. The French was dominating Europe. France is dominating Europe. Right? I can't Napoleon, wait to see Napoleon, Napoleon the crazy. Conqueror. Mm-hmm. The dude, I saw this headline and I was just, uh, I thought it was just obvious. I'm just like, duh. Like Napoleon being played by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Like this is okay. Nominate, put the man on another Oscar statue. Like, yeah, I got keep riding that high. Like, was made for it. Um, like you talked about the volatility of Joaquin Phoenix matching with the volatility of a character like Napoleon. It's a match made in heaven. And then he gets to play kind of a similar part that he did in um, uh, Gladiator, right? Just maybe with a little more enthusiasm. He's going to be electric. Ridley Scott's going to really bring it. I'm excited to see what's in store. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready for more casting news, Ricky Flex? Bring it on. Bring it on. So we have Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Hemsworth, and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II cast in the upcoming Mad Max prequel focusing on Imperial Furiosa, right? Originally starring, uh, originally played by Charlize Theron. Uh, in this, in this go-around, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy will be playing the lead. Theron will not return to her iconic role from Fury Road due to George Miller dismissing the idea of de-aging technology following his... Uh, viewing of the Irishman and performance, how that movie did. So Ricky Flex, what do you think about Charlize Theron not returning for the Imper- Imperator Furiosa prequel? We were just riding on two highs and now we have to bring it back to reality here. I think it's ridiculous. George Miller needs to reevaluate. You're buzzing too And his eyes. Like, how can you compare the Irishman, like a 76 or whatever year old De Niro aging to 25 to Charlize Theron, who looks like she's 30, that she has to age only like 10 more years. Plus, see, they could, with makeup, they could just do that. And you can't just take Charlize Theron, who's in the prime of her career, being nominated for Oscars right now uh, in the past decade with Mad Max and also Bombshell. You just say, you know what? Let's not use an Oscar-nominated actor. Let's have no Oscar-nominated actors in this movie. That's ridiculous, especially off the high of Mad Max, which some people thought should have won Best Picture. Just absolutely terrible absolutely a terrible decision no disrespect to anya taylor joy great a uh, good actress but nowhere near Charlize theron and a terrible thing to see you hate to see it doc you hate to see it i was definitely disappointed when i heard this news um i you obviously want an icon like Charlize theron to play the character she made so iconic it's just natural uh I, i'm assuming that they're going to make this character much younger than what Charlize theron looked like in fury road that's the only way I could explain it because when you look at Charlize Theron, she looks drop dead sexy. She's absolutely gorgeous. And she Mm. can lose 10 years with makeup, 10, 15 years automatically. So I kind of thought of it like Anya Taylor joy is much younger. She's early twenties. She's a hot actress on the rise in the, in the industry. Uh, Obviously. And then like, if they wanted to have Charlize Theron and they wanted to do makeup, we saw how like, she's a chameleon dude. Like she could cheat her and monster she played a serial killer mm-hmm. obviously then you had like literally she went from like the hottest woman i've ever seen in my life to the ugliest piece of trash in history yeah. and yep. then you had her in bombshell she's unrecognizable she plays megan kelly she looks more like megan kelly than herself 
Yeah. It, it was unbelievable. So if they wanted to, I'm guessing that they really want to create a story about a younger Furiosa, maybe create a uh, future movies building off of that character. I think we kind of make up for a little bit with Chris Hemsworth and Yaya in there. Yaya, mm-hmm. dude, is like could get an Oscar by the time this comes come up right now. Like, yeah, he could be getting one for he's getting a lot of rave reviews for Trial of Chicago Seven. Mm-hmm. He's in the upcoming Matrix uh, Matrix Four movie. He is buzzing right now, and he's coming off an Emmy nomination from Watchmen. Spectacular actor, and he's really uh, getting to showcase himself now because of his uh, recent success. And Chris Hemsworth is Chris Hemsworth, arguably the greatest action star on the on Earth right now, like the biggest action star on earth right now we talked yeah, about that. I, chris hemsworth action movies equal sign like he, he looks just like, dude he looks like he could be a part of the mad max franchise yeah definitely I, I think that's a good uh a good person to add to the mad max franchise especially with like his comedic relief maybe he could bring some of that to the mad max uh the mad max universe because like tom hardy like he was great in mad max Fury road but like i have absolutely no comedy there at all because obviously with the story doesn't affect uh, that wouldn't be the right thing right. to do obviously but chris hemsworth possibly like that would be a great addition if you get almost some a mad max type, almost a tom hardy type of role here yeah but like maybe like on a lighter note that would be very interesting to see yeah and then like you mentioned yeah yeah just on a heater and he just keeps it going and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see it stopping really i think just after uh trial of the chicago seven candy man now this like what movies is he not going to be in the next 10 years? Like he's going to be, and he's like, all those movies are different. Like you have action movies, a horror mystery movie. And then you have this pure, uh, then uh, a drama and try the Chicago seven. So he can be in any role and watch him. Like you mentioned being a superhero. So he could be in any role and like, he's just set for the next 10 years. Flex. I'm about to throw something out there that might be controversial. Yeah. 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 Abdul he's he's black manta in the dceu and there's a lot of questions around black panther and the mcu oh what's going to happen right whether they bring in a new character similar right to t'challa or they recast t'challa could you not see yaya as a potential next black panther well so i did not see that coming I but told you it's kind of controversial. I think, I think it's not a bad take. If you're like looking, it doesn't have to be T'Challa. It can be someone else. You have to continue the. In my opinion, you got someone's got to take up the mantle. People talk about John David Washington, who looks like Yaya looks like a superhero, and he looks like he uh, he could easily carry a franchise. He's in all these great. Now he's picking up a Mad Max movie, Matrix. He's in. He was in Watchmen. It just seems like he's going to be a hero at some point in one of yeah. these superhero movies. I agree, but I don't think in the Black Panther franchise, just because of what Ch- happened with Chadwick, obviously, RIP, but also Daniel Kaluuya is still there. Like, he's still in that franchise as well. Oh, like, no. And, you, and they could, we need no way. He, like, he's he a huge actor power, right now. No, but no, 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 no. Just listen, hear me out. But you then you also have, wait, wait, you, you hear me out. And you, you have him, but you also have the, the general, I don't, I can't remember her name right now but also T'Challa's sister. Like, those two are yeah. the most prominent, besides Chadwick Boseman, Black pa- the actual Black Panther, were the most prominent figures in that universe, or that franchise. So they might just use that mm-hmm. as, like, a stepping stool for them as well. So that could be, like, those three people. And Michael B. Jordan, is he really dead? You could just bring him back as well. So I really think, I do like your idea, but I think you could... I'm just I'm not I'm not saying that is going to be the case. I'm just saying there's a, that's an option. And I think I they should save him for a different type of character. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, dude, I just threw it out there because I think he's bound to play a hero. He also would have made a badass bad. blade, but Marshall Ali's already there. True. So it's like, I mean, I think he would just be incredible. Like, I think he would have been awesome. And uh, he has the – obviously, he has the physical presence, right? He's an incredible actor. Mm-hmm. He's just on a roll. And this usually happens to actors that are on a roll. They, if they want to play a hero, they just get what they want. And I doubt, like, Black Manta is a big enough character for him at this point. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I didn't love him in that either, in Aquaman. I didn't think no, he was that corny. good. Movie, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll movie yeah, yeah, I agree. But it'll be interesting to see if they could develop it. Like, now he has – gaining this experience, maybe Aquaman 2 could be a lot better than Aquaman. Yeah, who knows? But uh, I also wanted to comment before we move on to the next piece of the checkup. Uh, George Miller, I think, has a point about the Irishman. I think that the de-aging and the Irishman is one of the most overrated aspects of movies in the past, like, 10 years. Like, it's, like, insane how people, like, want to say it was just this great piece of uh, cinema when you have, like, Robert De Niro being de-aged, 20 to 30 years beating the crap out of somebody on the curb that makes me laugh how like he still has like the same old motions and he's mm-hmm. still hitting them and, and he's like as if he's making contact like with a punch or a kick from 30 years ago and it's just it's like it's like not the same it just doesn't uh match up and it's the most ridiculous scene i've ever i've seen in a movie in a long time and that's coming from the irishman right i'm talking yeah. about the scene obviously of course it is or that is so bad. And it look if he looks that bad in an action scene from a non-action movie, it's like, how are you going to use the de-aging technology uh, for a whole movie? You know? Yeah. So I kind of don't blame him. Yeah, I agree. I think – I don't blame him for not using de-aging. I just blame him because I think there's other methods he could have used besides de-aging like makeup or just not – it doesn't have to be as young or – I, I don't know. I just think that you didn't have to use de-aging for Charlie's Throne. But like, I do agree that that is an issue going into the, fu- uh, into the future of the industry or recent future with de-aging with action movies. It's going to be difficult to, do, uh, to implement that. And Irishman, I love that movie. I think it's one of the best movies of the past decade as well. Um, not as well, but personally, I feel like it's one of the best movies of the past decade. But that scene was terrible. Like I, that seems atrocious. It's hard not to laugh, and I, st- I, I, if you like look back at other great movies like The Godfather, I still laugh every time when Sonny is beating up, in quotes, beating up, uh, uh, the guy. I forget his name, Tony. Ty Shires. Yeah, uh, ta- yeah, Tony. Tony. Ty Shires in the street and is clearly missing, and they zoom in on him missing his head. Like I laugh at that every time as well, and that's arguably the greatest movie of all time. Just careless. So that, that's a, that's just a, that's just a careless scene. Like they yeah. just didn't look back and see it. Exactly. So um, I think I think that in action movies that's a bigger issue, but like in movies like The Irishman, not as big of an issue. Okay, I understand what you're saying. I just understand how we got turned off, and I think we're on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Um, so last piece of cast news, uh, we have Gal Gadot being cast as Cleopatra. In an upcoming film from director Patty Jenkins, who she worked with previously in Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, uh, Flicks, any thoughts about Cleopatra? So, again, clearly from the Napoleon comment, I am not good with history. Is Cleopatra, like, related to Alexander the Great or something? And she's the last Egyptian ruler or something? Yes, she is an Egyptian ruler. Um, Is she the last one? Like, why... I believe. Like, what does she do that's famous? Is it because of Alexander the Great or is because she's like the last Egyptian ruler? I honestly know more about the movie from 1963 than I do about. Right. Do you want to like, do you want to like run through a quick synopsis or something? Like, I, I have no idea who Cleopatra is. No, no, just a Cleopatra. So, 
see so Cleopatra, full uh, who she Egyptian queen, okay, born seventy slash sixty nine BCE, famous in history and drama as the lover of Julius Caesar and later oh. as the wife of Mark Antony. All right, so she was like a, All right. I mean, she was like a sex icon back in the day. Okay, so that's perfect. Like a sex icon. That's perfect for Gal Gadot. Like, absolutely yeah, perfect. This, that's who Gorgeous. Elizabeth Taylor played. Yeah, right. So in like, the uh, original, back- with the James Mankiewicz uh, version, like 63. 63 Cleopatra. Right. Well, yeah, Mank. Yeah, Mank, who's the uh, so who, Oscar winner, potentially this picture. Best picture. Yeah, funny enough, is getting his own biopic on Netflix from David Fincher with that we talked about last episode. But uh, I thought that was fascinating too. And I think they could have like, cause the original Cleopatra movie was nominated for best picture. It was nominated, I believe for at least four Oscars, but it was known for its turbulent set. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor starred in the movie as like, she was, she was a sex icon as Cleopatra. And she was married to Richard Burton at the time, who was also in the movie. And they had a very uh, turbulent relationship. And, uh, as a result, like the production of the movie extended to an exorbitant amount of time. And it was the highest um, budget ever for a movie to that point. Cause they had to keep shooting it. It ended up, it ended up winning, uh, uh, not winning, but it was nominated for multiple Oscars. It might've won. I don't, I have to reach. It was a top grossing movie there. of that year. Yes. It was a top grossing movie of that year, but it still lost money, which is. Wow. That's yeah. insane. And it, um, and so it's like a big deal that Gal Gadot is playing this character because last time it was played was by Elizabeth Taylor. Right. And it really hasn't been uh, – there hasn't been a rendition, rendition that's been memorable since or even played now that I can think of it. And uh, I think she's getting some flack right now too because she's uh, she's being considered, I think, too white to play the character. I believe so. Who is um, Elizabeth I, Taylor? I some news. No, not Elizabeth Taylor. Gal Gadot? Gadot? Really? Yeah, wow. even though she's uh, Israeli. Yeah, that's kind of odd, No. Yeah, people were like throwing a fit about it, and they were saying uh, that wow, I she's totally not a person that. of color, so she well, shouldn't play Cleopatra. I think it's a perfect casting, especially pairing back up with Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, which is hopefully coming out in December. Fingers crossed. But I love this casting. Like clearly from Wonder Woman, you could see Gal Gadot playing a princess, or I know Cleopatra's not a princess as we just learned, but a, a regime type ruler. Uh, I think that, and also just exotic beautiful gore dropped a gorgeous sex icon gal gadot is so that hot. yeah so this is just a perfect casting in my book i don't understand what other people were saying with that like i think that sure i just think that gal gadot is perfect for this doc yeah i agree and then uh just to wrap it up with there i just wanted to say this is like the first time she could be starring in a serious movie taking the lead in more of a drum dramatic role compared to her roles in wonder woman she started off in Fast, the Fast and Furious franchise. She was in like that Keeping Up with the Joneses movie. Yeah, she's going to you know be in De- Death like, on the Death Nile. Nile. Yes, she is going to be in that movie, but she seems like she's just playing another pretty face in that movie. But she's mm-hmm. this is her in the lead. This is her movie. So definitely. I'm interested. And I'm glad that she's doing it with Patty Jenkins, who she's had previous success with. Yeah, definitely. And uh, before we wrap up our checkup with the trailer roundup, Flex, I just wanted to talk about uh, the Batman. Because the Batman is being filmed in Liverpool right now. And there's a lot of set photos happening. I want to see, hear any of your reaction of the set photos in England right now. It's insane. It feels like every day this week there were different set photos. But they all look like it's from the same day. So it's kind of weird how they came out on social media. But Pattinson, so Kravitz, looking smooth as hell. Like, they look great. 
John Turturro oh looks decent. Like, he doesn't look as bad as I thought he was going to look. Like, I don't know how old he, that he man is, young. but he's been in movies since, like, early, like, 70s, right? Like, holy crap. He looks pretty good. Yeah. And definitely better than his last big movie with the Big Lebowski re, uh, sequel slash without the Big Lebowski. The Jesus Rolls? Yeah, Jesus Rolls. It looks a lot better than that. So, granted, like... I, I've not well. seen that movie. Oh, I can't. I don't know if I can watch it, but I'll, I guess I will get to it at some point. But he looks he doesn't look that bad. But the thing that I took away most, Colin Farrell, still unrecognizable. I thought maybe for a second it might just be the darkness of the trailer or just wasn't it my screen's just not as focused. No, still unrecognizable. Yeah, man. Like Colin Farrell, I had like that is the one character for the Batman set I want to see more than any other character. And that like includes Batman because he's like <laughs> Like he is like the most suave looking dude, Colin Farrell in real life, and then you see him as like this fat slob with this extra skin that was that looks like it's tired hanging off of his body. You have the umbrella, the iconic umbrella was out, and he just looks he looks like I I made a comparison in my blog. He looks like um Gordon from Dodgeball, his like his like (laughs) evil brother or something. He just looks so. Ugly, and I can't stop looking at how ugly he is. Uglier than Gordon. Zoe Kravitz. Then you have Zoe Kravitz, who looks so hot (laughs) as Selena Kyle. And then she's like, she's like arm in arm with uh, Carmine Balcone, who is John Turturro. So it's got me thinking: what's the relationship between those two characters? Like in the scene of the set photos, are they? Is that her like stepdad? Is it a Godfather relationship? Is it a sugar daddy? Like, who the heck <laughs> is Carmine Balcone to Selena Kyle? And how are they so close? And, like, it's got to be interesting. Who, a funeral are they at? Are they at the funeral of the guy who had his face wrapped up at the beginning of the trailer? That would kind of make sense because we see, like, Selena Kyle breaking into that same apartment. We mm. see, like, in Battinson's there and everything like that. And Bruce Wayne's also at the funeral. Just there's a lot of stuff lining up. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me ask so many questions the more set photos we get. And I love the uh, aspect that Matt Reeves just doesn't care if he's filming and people can see it. Right? Yeah. He's just like, okay, these people aren't going to see this movie for since till 2022. Got to get them something. Let's get him excited with the photos. Yeah, to- totally agree. And the last point I'll make on this is that being filmed in Liverpool, first off, terrible. But second of all, Liverpool. What's like what's Liverpool known as besides soccer? Rains a lot. Rains a lot. Coastal City rains a lot. What do you think of Gotham City? Just terrible place like gloomy i'm glad that they're using liverpool as like a set and they're just plowing through during covid time like i feel like the setting's gonna be great it's just gonna be raining all the time in gotham and just gloomy and no cgi not as much cgi needed right we all know how if they use cgi for rain or like the fake rain like sometimes it could blur out the picture and the focus of the screen so it's great that they're actually in a spot where it just rains a lot and i guess just 21st century movies can do that now Right, and the architecture looks cool. You have like, mm-hmm. the set video of the Batman hold, like, holding up his cape on mm-hmm. the tower with the clock. It just looked like an iconic Batman scene coming. <laughs> um, and like I think I think uh, Jeffrey Wright was mentioning how there's going to be very minimal green screen, if any, in this movie. Right, and he said exactly. the whole trailer we saw there's no green screen whatsoever. So I mean, that's just going to be. I, I haven't even seen it yet. It's my favorite movie ever. ever, ever. <laughs> Best movie of 2022. It's just my Down. favorite movie already. Already, <laughs> I can't wait. 
But uh, that does it for today's checkup. Uh, we're going to move on to the trailer roundup with Pixar's Soul, who has a new trailer. And they, uh, and they also uh, announced the news. This movie will be on Disney Plus, right, with a, with a subscription of Disney Plus. You can see it on December 25th, Christmas Day, um, with starring Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey. Synopsis for the movie, Joe is a middle school band teacher whose life hasn't quite gone the way he expected. His true passion is jazz and he's good. But when he travels to another realm to help someone find their passion, he soon discovers what it means to have soul flicks. What do you think of this trailer? What a, what a log line. What a synopsis. I like that. But I did like the trailer. I think it looks good. It's different than what I expected. I expected, I did not expect them not being real people, like being souls, right? I didn't expect that at all. Um, just from the still photos of the movie from prior months, did not expect it because they only showed the human aspect of it. So that was shocking. So now I'm seeing that after ex- those expectations, now I'm getting inside out vibes. I'm getting uh, those, and the movie's called soul somewhere to inside out where it's inside, inside a person, right. And their emotions. So I'm getting those really vibes. Exactly. So I think it's a cool concept somewhere to inside out. I did think that, um, the leaders of the soul world, like they were a little creepy. Do you know what I mean? Like not the, not the people that look like Tina Fey and Jamie Foxx, not the little guys, but the big guys that look like uh-huh. they drew it with pencil from the trailer, okay. the yeah, big I guys. Have, I'm trying to There's only two types okay. of ca- oh, yeah. characters yeah. besides the humans in there. So I'm just thinking of like the little blobs that are running around. Besides the little blobs, like the big people that like are the leaders. Okay. I think that looks terrible. It looks like pencil. Like they just drew it in. I don't understand, like uh, from a Pixar standpoint, why they would do that. So there must be some sort of meaning, uh, meaning by the end of the movie. So, but then my last point would be Jamie Fox and Tina Fey. This is going to be a lethal combo, I think, with their chemistry. I think it's going to be a great chemistry. What about you, Doc? Yeah, I like Jamie Fox in the role. I think he's great with his voice. He does a lot of imitations. Like I think he's made to be a voice actor in some hit Pixar movie. I, I am looking at what you're saying now. It kind of looks like um, the uh, drawings for a movie before they get put into animation on screen. But not as good. Like how I would put it. They look right. Like, I'm saying like, yeah. it looks like, it looks like, it looks like it's drawn, but they still have to animate it. You know right. I mean? It just doesn't look that good to me. So, uh, I mean, it looks like they're, they're going to make me cry again. Oh sucks. no. But uh, I think it's going to, I could just see the ending where it's like he gets to finally play in front of a massive crowd and then mm. they take him and he leaves. Oh, no. I don't know. Like It seems like this is a way of Pixar kind of like helping little kids deal with death. That's what it kind of feels like. You think? Where it's like soul, like your soul lives on and like it could be passed to other people, things like that. God, I was thinking I the opposite. Was, I don't know. And it's also... You think like he's gonna like be a huge jazz star after this? I don't. I don't know. No. So like, I was thinking the opposite. The story is obviously a teacher who thought who always wanted to be a major jazz like entertainer. And, yeah. So like, all right. So about to play the biggest big in his life, his soul. Like he loses yeah. his soul. Okay. So I disagree with you there. I think that after onward, which was another cry fest for a lot of people, I think that this is I not going to be that. You haven't seen onward. Oh my god! I'm going. I'm going to see it this weekend. A lot of people weekend. don't like the movie because it's so it. sad. But I actually love that movie. I think it's a great movie. I know it is really sad. That kind of and it's a little too sad throughout. That's, that kind of takes away from the movie. But I do think it's a great movie. 
I just can't see them doing that back to back. I think that the point of this movie, I, I won't say for sure, but it's going to be more uplifting and it's not necessarily going to be a huge star, but maybe just like. That's, wait, wait, wait. I just mixed it up. So wait, wait. So what? Onward was about dealing with death. Yeah. Onward was about dealing with. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it. That's maybe I was thinking. Of. But uh, uh, I'm going to watch that this weekend, but sometimes you need a good cry. You just need it. Like, no, it's yeah, that, for a movie. It's a, a good, good like, cry a movie, is always good. I don't know. Attack on, yeah. yeah, sometimes like, you like, get a like an emotional, emotional attack on you a little bit from a movie. That's good. It makes you feel something. It's good. Yeah, you know, I'm a fan. Yeah, like I'm not the biggest crier, as in from movies. Like I can think of like a handful of movies max of like that I've cried from, and like the most, the one that sticks out in my eyes, like Fifty Fifty with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like that one oh, is I, I cried that crazy sad the first time I saw that. And the, even like if I watch it today, the scene when he's going to get these, the operation is like the odds are 50, the odds are 50, 50. Cause he acts like he doesn't care the entire movie. And then like yeah. he says bye to his parents. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. That's like and one then, like, movie where I, I just like, I just bawled. I refuse to watch that movie with anybody else in the room. Refuse. Absolutely not. Movie, well, though. not. I love that movie. Under yeah, like I don't know if I even liked it that much. It was just like that emotional like part of it. Maybe like oh my god, like it just broke me. It broke me. <laughs> I, I thought then, it was uh, fantastic. First movie I ever cried to. Quick story was uh, Shrek One. I get a lot of crap from it from my friends. Shrek. Uh, they weren't there when it happened, but I tell the story. Yes, and it wasn't because it was like sad. It was like it was kind of mm. like it was the moment in Shrek where Fiona is like turning into an ogre, and then Shrek walks into the uh, that little. Uh, tower and he sees that she's an ogre too and i was like so emotionally upset that she was an ogre too because she was so gorgeous as the animated figure was so gorgeous and the animated figure she was so gorgeous that i was just like i I just broke down i was like no no she can't be an ogre too and then i cried but that's like wow anymore but that Mm -hmm. that was i was in theater i remember shedding a tear yeah yeah no no no. i love shrek Mm mm-hmm Wow. But then I was like, I guess like, I guess she could be an ogre if she's in love with Shrek. Blah, 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 blah. But it was a... Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a talking to from father. Like, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I think I just cried. He was like, don't you do it. And he just said like... You weirdo. <laughs> and I just got together. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, back to uh, Soul. Let's bring out the Tomominator predictor. Dr. O, what is your prediction for the movie? I mean, it's a Pixar movie. It's automatic 80 plus. Especially yep. if it's not a sequel. A lot of times you're getting like, uh, if you're getting like a car sequel, you could hit, see it hit the 70s or 60s. Frozen 2, I think, was in the 70s. I'm anticipating in a real emotional movie here. Great acting performances. I'm going to, I mean, I'm just going to guess 89%. Yeah, I, I see that. I, Inside Out got absurdly high, like high 90s, I want to say. And I just yeah, don't think this, yeah. And I don't think this is going to come even close to that. I think that this isn't going to be a letdown because they're going to need, Pixar is going to need this to be big because this is going to be Disney plus second year, Christmas time. This, they're going to need this to be a big success. So I think that they're not going to mess this up, but I don't see it hit in the nineties, but it's Pixar and it looks, and it looks like a better Pixar than like a cars two or like a frozen two. So it's above an 80 for me. I'll go, 86 86 for soul on rotten tomatoes uh inside out got a 98 god i i personally like if i had a like put a ranking on that out of 100 i would not put go a plus on that 
Too sad. I wouldn't but, feel comfortable putting a score on it right now. I gotta rewatch it. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters, dude. I haven't seen it beyond that because I, I like emotionally, I don't want to see that again. But it's a good movie, so I do want to see it again at the same time. The so scenes, it's like it's, I'm, 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 at, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, like the scenes with the with the girl, the human. It's just like so obvious. Oh, it's not so obvious. It's just every scene is her being moody until the the very last scene. So it's just like it's just like similar to what uh, we were saying. It's, it's you were saying, annoying. yeah, and it's similar to like you were saying this the other day with uh, like every time you pull out a gun and they shoot them. Like what movie we were talking about? I forget what we were talking about, but devil uh, all the time. Devil all the time. That's what we were talking about. Devil all the time. Every time they pulled out a gun, like you knew someone was dying. It's kind of like that. Every time you showed her, she's gonna be sad. There's not gonna be anything different. That kind of took away from the movie for me. But I know this is we're talking about Soul, so I'll I'll hop off my hot takes from Inside Out. But Soul eighty six, Tomorrowminator predictor. All right, that does it for the thermometer predictor. That does it for the trailer roundup. And that does it for the overall checkup. So we are going to now move on to our review of the highly anticipated Aaron Sorkin film, The Trial of the Chicago 7. All right, Flicks. We're on to our much-anticipated review of Netflix's uh, new original from Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I'm going to give you the synopsis. We'll give you the cast, and we'll go into it. All right, Flex. That's good. So synopsis is the film is based on the infamous 1969 trial of seven defendants charged by the federal government with conspiracy and more arising from the counterculture countercultural protests in Chicago at the 68 Democratic National Convention. The trial transfixed the nation and sparked a conversation about mayhem intended to undermine the U.S. government. We got a very topical movie for this day and age. We have an, uh, we have an all star cast. Right to go along with Aaron Sorkin directing, we got Sasha Baron Cohen, we got Eddie Redmayne, our boy JGL, we got Yaya, Jeremy Strong, Mark Ryland, Frank Langella, Michael Keaton, just an incredible cast flicks. Um, mm. I think, where do you think we should start, flicks? I honestly don't know. There's so many things going on in this movie and the, with this cast, you can't really start at one character, but we can start at a character. We could start at just the the movie in general, what your initial thoughts were, or did it meet your expectations? Yeah, let me, let's go, let's go with that. Let's go with expectations going in. What did, what, did it live up to them? Right. Uh, did it uh, fall short? Right. How did it line up with what you thought the movie was going to look like? Yeah, I think it fell short, <laughs> not to be a bummer or bad news. I did. That was blunt. Yeah, very, very blunt. But I do think I, I like the movie. I did enjoy it. I watched it a second time. So I think that explains, like, that says something about it, right? But I kind of, my expectations were like a mall, not like, not a movie like Molly, Molly's Game, but to the level of how much I liked Molly's Game, I expected to like this even more just because mm-hmm. I'm into history and I'm into this, this type of story and a Sorkin courtroom movie to develop a little bit yeah exactly that first movie yeah look at him uh to take the next step learn from his mistakes from always game maybe and just take that next step in his directorial uh experience i did not see that in this movie although i did enjoy this movie i did not see that what about you doc i had high expectations obviously this is my uh, favorite for best picture uh i'm not confident it's gonna be uh a winner i think it could get nominated I think it could get nominated. I think by default, I, I had extreme. No, I think it's. I think it's a pretty good movie, and like we have some uh, potential like award season movies coming up that could be contenders. 
uh, that we will be reviewing on the pod soon. But I had high expectations going in. I think uh, the cast was, it's just, it, it, I think it was the, they lived up to the hype. But uh, in terms of the movie's downfalls, we're going to get into it. But I was thinking that Sorkin was sort of the downfall of this movie. Um, and he, and it, it, well, I mean, I guess we'll just go into it. Let's go into his style, the way he usually directs his over-dramatization, okay? Um, we obviously have a very compelling story here, right? True story, historical story, one that is one, unlike any other trial maybe in uh, U.S. history. So you had something very um, unique going on. And I felt like a lot of the movie was overly dramatized, even though you didn't have to. It was already pretty dramatic. Uh, Flix, what do you think about that take? I think it's the right take. I definitely think that. I think that by bringing in the GGL aspect, that side, the prosecutor side of the argument, like if you compare it to A Few Good Men, where you didn't really get Kevin Bacon side, the prosecution side. It really just focused on Tom Cruise and the defendants. This side, they kind of wanted to take you through what the U.S. government was going through at the time and their overhaul with Nixon, right? And yep. try, and then this that kind of played into the part of America at the time with the end, uh, the Vietnam War. So they kind of sort of try to attack it from that angle. And I don't think it necessarily worked. I didn't feel like JGO was necessary even in the movie. It was pretty politically fueled. Yes. Oh, definitely. De- definitely politically. Uh, de- you could definitely see Sorkin's political viewpoints in this movie for mm-hmm. sure. And that I don't think that's like the biggest drawback of this movie, though, really. Not to switch subjects, but I don't think that that was even like a couple main points. I think a main point is the ending. The ending, I thought, was pretty poor. I think that could also be tied into the over-dramatization, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that goes to your point with the over-dramatization in in your original question that by the end, like you could hear, you could feel the buildup every time that Reddy Redman's like partner in crime, like he's always writing down the names of everyone that died that day from the Vietnam War. But I think the problem is that's all he really brought to the story, really, that was compelling enough. Like, sure, like the tire situation. Yeah, but that was really Eddie Redmayne showing his character more. But by the end, reading those names, I just think that wasn't the biggest payoff that this movie deserved. And that's no disrespect to like (laughs) Vietnam veterans or anything. But for a movie of this significance, of this like uh, topical, as you say, as you said, it just needed more at the end. I just don't think it was powerful. Like I like it, I think it was trying like sort of. It's good on like, paper. He he did all he could to make that as powerful because it is a true story. So I think he was very limited with that ending. But like the over dramatization is like trying to make it feel like everything that these guys stood for was paid off by reading a bunch of names. It just didn't feel yeah. right. And uh, with the over dramatization, what I really wanted to get into is the. Uh, take on history that Sorkin had like on certain historical aspects, I should say of this film and it's classic Sorkin uh, with his, well, he does great. I think with the dialogue, I, I don't mind the fact that he over dramatizes things. I actually like that. It is a movie, but when he does it and destroys so much from history and I'm a history guy that I was reading up on this and uh, the, the decisions he made, and I don't necessarily agree with most of them. Uh, David Dellinger, right, was the pacifist, mm-hmm. right, played by John Carroll Lynch. He's famous for being the killer in Zodiac. Yeah, big right? guy, big bald guy. 
Yeah. So I thought like it was, they tried, they, like they, I knew I watched this scene and I knew it didn't happen. I guess we're going to jump into a spoiler here, but it's like, I guess it's not a major spoiler. It's when he throws a punch. Okay. Yep. And like, that's just, I, I watched that happen in a federal court case. I'm like, this definitely didn't happen. There's no way that happened. And that kind of reaction from a pacifist, I know what he's trying to do with that scene. So you have Sorkin trying to say like, okay, this is a very emotional trial. Even it's getting, it's getting the best of a pacifist and it's showing how emotional, how high stakes this trial is. He didn't have to do that. And I looked it up. I looked it up. It didn't happen. Dude, this was already such, this type of trial was already such an anomaly to have eight people wrapped up, right? Including Bobby Seale at the time. Uh, Right. Which is one mm -hmm. case. I, you, it's already compelling enough. You don't have to try and like put a, a more emotion, more emotion into this because the, the, the characters themselves are already so passionate. So it's like, you're adding that. I like, do you know what I mean by that? No. So, yeah, definitely. And if I'm like, freaking David Dellinger, like, I don't know if he's alive today, but if he I is, just I would be recently. Wow. Well, I, if I was fan, his family, I would be pissed if they, if Sorkin showed me punching someone in a federal courtroom, like, and don't you show me like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, tell, like, this is a historical event. Why show me in my worst when I didn't even do that? If I'm known to be a pacifist. I'm the, like the most sane person in this group. So right. why do that? Like, I, I didn't like Man. that. I didn't like it either, but I understood the decision to do yeah, it. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't hate. But was it necessary? Was it no, necessary? Absolutely, absolutely was not necessary. It's like it was way over the top. And then like the way like Langella, uh, the judge, obviously Frank Langella. The way he like sometimes interacts with Bobby Steele and uh, with uh, uh, William Kunstler, who is uh, Mark Mark Rylance's character. It was super like, okay, there's 0% chance he acted like this, like in the trial. And like, but I understand I'm okay with the facts. It is a movie. It's going to be over dramatized, but like when it takes away from the movie and distracts me from like the overall goal of the movie. Right. And it's message. I'm just like, okay, like, this is just like him, like almost just toying with the audience. Right. That's what it kind of felt like. Yeah. And I think to bounce off or to move, uh, to elaborate on that point is that Frank Langella, Langella, I don't know how you pronounce it. I thought he was great in this. I, hon- I honestly think he yeah. was. And I think that uh, Mateen was also like Bobby Seale. He was good in this, not great. I know everyone was praising him, but like he really kind of did the same thing over and over again, which I didn't find impressive, but it was good and compelling the way he did it but I thought they were both a little over the top and that's kind of just like to what we've been saying is trying to show the emotional impact of this trial and all the other things, uh, points that we mentioned, but I just thought it was a little too over the top and kind of made me uncomfortable the second time watching. It's like, all right, I've seen this a million times now. Like, I don't think I'm going right. to watch it. Yeah. Right. And he, but I think, so I personally, I like Yaya a lot here. I think uh, him, his repetitiveness, it was supposed to make you uncomfortable and just like oh black- of course uh, yeah yeah no but i'm also thinking like where he's coming from he's in the, he's part of the black panthers yeah it was- actually make people uncomfortable it's like what yeah. they they were disruptors to society but um uh yeah i love that we talk we're talking about the performances now langella was great he was mm-hmm. like a great old not with the times type of guy he's perfect and, for that and i thought his interaction in the courtroom between him abby hoffman which is a uh, sasha brown character Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Jerry Rubin, which is uh, Mark Strong. I thought that those interactions were incredible. Like when they dressed up with, as the judge, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then also like the part where um, 
he judge Hoffman, right? Langella saying, I'm not related to Abby Hoffman and then Sasha Brown Cohen, like Sasha Brown Cohen, I think arguably was, he was my favorite character in this movie just because I think he's supposed to be everybody's favorite. Yeah. But he, the energy he brought and he looked like he was having a blast while he was making this movie. Right. Yeah. It looked like he had fun. He was partially the narrator too with his stand up, and I loved his interactions with good take Eddie, on Eddie that. Redmayne. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. He is. He basically did narrate the movie, and um, uh, he was definitely the most enjoyable. And Jerry Rubin, I didn't necessarily like in this movie. I, I wanted Mark Strong to kill it. Right, he's coming off that Emmy win for best lead actor. Jeremy I was, Strong. Well, yeah, what did I say, Mark? Mark Strong. Ah, I think I said that earlier too. But uh, Jeremy Strong, I was looking for him to like break through in the on the big screen here. Didn't mm-hmm. really follow through as much as I wanted to. I found his accent super annoying. Yeah, and, um, I, I did see. I, I agree with that, but I kind of understand why they had it. So I'm not really too upset by that. I'm more upset with people that say like, "Oh, he's just Ken Roy to me. He's just Ken Roy to me." Like, uh, yeah, sure, I love Succession, and that's probably getting like I don't want to diss him because he's. A, I think he's a great actor, but he's going to do great things in my opinion in Hollywood, not just. On awesome succession, in the big short. but in the big short, he was fantastic in that as well. And I think he has a lot to prove. But the pe- for people saying, "Oh, he's Ken Roy to me," like, g- g- come on now, come on, see past that. He's a better. He's he's better than that. Even though he's yeah, fantastic in a that. Sorkin movie. Like, yeah, like come on. But yeah. yeah, going to your point with the the performances, I actually did I, one that we haven't mentioned yet. Eddie Redmayne, I did like him a lot in this movie. I thought it was. Just, I think this role was perfect for him. I really think I, he was like the. The kind like he wasn't the emotional like ride that you have with Ruben and Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Dellinger is kind of like like that like we said the pacifist but more just like the straight arrow guy. Redman's like trying to make trying the goody goody two shoe guy right and mm-hmm. he's just too perfect for that. Right, I, I dude, I agree completely. He was sneaky good in this. He yeah, was sneaky good, and no one's talking about it. Like obviously, Yaya had the juicy role, and so did Langella as like the Cohen. Quote, the quote unquote racist judge. And Sasha Baron Cohen was just a likable character. But uh, I thought Redmayne was the guy. He was supposed to be the calm, cool, collective guy, the potential like future politician. He does become. He is a future politician. Very but cool. uh, and he's like supposed to be the responsible guy. Then at the end, you see the transformation of his character, and you get you reveal more about his past and what did he do, right, to potentially quote unquote incite riots between the people uh, and the, the protesters and the police. And then you find out, and then you see the fire in his belly at the end of the movie, right, when he's like potentially going to go on the stand and why he's not the greatest choice to go on the stand. That was a great scene, right? It's the like interrogation with Ryan. So great because he, he's putting on this persona that he is not what. Jerry Rubin is, or or uh, Abby Hoffman is, right? He's, mm-hmm. I, I am, I am, I'm looking to start. I'm better. He's, he's like, I think I'm better than. That. He kind of right. thinks that, right? He right. thinks like and, they're not like necessarily the smartest characters. He doesn't right? connect. They don't connect at all. And then at the end, like when he's, when he's finally he comes through with Abby Hoffman, uh, Sasha Brown's Cohen's uh, character, they hit that breakthrough and like, okay, we're connecting. We're on the same level. That's why, like that climax, I thought was great, but it's just that the ending didn't like live up to the like cl- the strong climax if that yeah. makes sense i think to go to continue with that it's just when I, you think courtroom scenes right you think sorkin you think a few good men it's just so tough to follow up a few good men right i know sorkin didn't direct that but that's Great his script. movie that is his movie like we like, come down to brass tacks that's his movie all right, right. we rob reiner right that's rob reiner yeah rob reiner great director but to this point like did, those expectations are so high and they just didn't even come close. And I don't give like, it's come, it's hard to come close to any movie 
to a few good men, but we didn't have any of those Tom Cruise moments in this movie at all in the courtroom. We had like some good moments and like the Michael Keaton moment, but like that was quickly downgraded with the, Oh, it's not going on the record and things like that, which sure. Bobby Seal moment getting gagged maybe. Yeah. But like, so you can't handle the truth to compare it to that or just any Tom Cruise Mo- like any Tom Cruise interrogation moment on the st- on witness to a witness on the witness stand. I just think that nothing came close to that. And it's just tough to follow up. I do think, I, I do think though, the com- a comparable point with the, my, my favorite courtroom scene in this movie is the day one of the trial when all the seven defendants or eight defendants, they're kind of like uh, not, they're like uh bickering or they're like talking to each other and they keep going from pair to pair and it's just like out of nowhere, Abby Hoffman comes over to talk to Rylance when Rylance is talking to Eddie Redmayne. It's just that it's like it was like a play. It was like a yeah. play when they're announcing and all these, yeah, these quick little jabs. But it's like the spotlight quickly goes on one person, and then the stage goes dark and quickly goes across the set to another person. It was just like a play, and it was so impressive the way they did that. And I think that that was great. But again, just no huge moments in the courtroom like you can't handle the truth or that one one performance on the in the courtroom that was just like breathtaking yeah i i think i honestly think it was the bobby seals gag moment because i think that's the one that most like that's where you're supposed to re- it's supposed to resonate most with the audience i would think out of any other moment in the courtroom yes uh, definitely but, but the interesting part about that is that that's a sorkin moment where there's no words like that a capture a powerful moment it's Good just point. bobby it's bobby seal with a gag in his mouth who's basically shaking staring down judge hoffman and judge hoffman staring him down right and then, like i think that's supposed to resonate with the audience and then i think the important line was when they all approach the bench and it's like this and this is and uh judge hoffman goes to william kunstler uh the attorney he says uh this is the first time i'm being accused of uh of racially discriminating against a uh defendant and then the other guy the assistant to counselor says well that well that makes this makes me the second or something i thought that was pretty impactful uh you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i think that was impactful i just don't think it's to the same extent but But, yeah yeah i mean like we look back i wonder at the time like you can't handle the truth very electric moment obviously but like at the time were they like oh this is the greatest movie line i've ever heard you know so just like i'm wondering and i thought one of the scenes, I think my favorite scene from this movie was the take the hill scene, but I was also, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? I, love so that like, scene. It, I, I thought that was the best scene. And I thought that I looked when I was talking about the over dramatization from Sorkin, it was also that scene was also overly dramatized to the max um, acting like it was a war the way he like posed it. Right. Where you had them facing each other in a line then approaching each other, shouting, uh, shouting at each other, and then eventually charging at one another. And I learned that that really wasn't the case. You had like initially the protesters refusing to leave the park and they were standing on top of statues and the police eventually arrived right together to take them down. That led to riots. But it wasn't like the way the movie was portraying it. And that's where I felt like, OK, like they're making this look like a war movie. Like that's like I guess that's the point. Right. It's like the people. Yeah, versus definitely. The police. That's why it's super, super topical right now. But uh, I, I just I, I, I found that scene electric and I, I like the score during that scene. But I was underwhelmed by the overall um, uh, soundtrack to this movie. There was nothing. They didn't give us anything in terms of uh, like a anti like Vietnam War soundtrack. Nothing. So, OK, I'm glad you brought this up. So, yeah, although I am happy 
that there's no CCR or just like any of those like classic Vietnam. Like, for example, earlier this movie, we reviewed the five bloods and they mm-hmm. went all out. Or Spike Lee went all out for the Vietnam music, right? Yeah. This movie, I'm kind of happy they didn't. They kind of, Sorkin kind of wanted to do his own path. So I'm I, like the first scene, you saw that in that historical open, opening where it wasn't the same, like just the pictures and setting the stage, right? It was kind of a mix between that and then Abby Hoffman doing stand up, Eddie Ray at Redmayne saying like, we're going to, we're going to the Democratic convention to protest and things like that. So it was a good, it was a different build up, and I liked it. But again, the music was just so off the uplifting and it just didn't connect to the speeches. It, it just, it felt so unbalanced and the music throughout this, except the Hill scene, it felt unbalanced. The Hill scene, I liked it. Yeah. I was like, yeah that was like the right one now. part where the music fit perfectly, it's, but it, that just goes to Sorkin's kind of his sophomore try with directing. I think that he just didn't get that point. Right. He didn't he strike home with the music opportunity to like lay a banger of a song, like any song dur- like during the, uh, the moment where they went into like uh, Tom Hayden putting out the cops tires and they zoom in on the band, the live band, like you could have put it in a pretty impactful song right there. Um, yeah. Especially that is a like an anti-Vietnam song. How can you not put a protest song at a anti-Vietnam like event? Like how could you not do that? And it's live. Um, but flicks. I also want to bring up one other thing. Do you notice, uh, do you notice Abby Hoffman has also been portrayed in a previous movie? Where did I see that from? Did, did you tell me that? I might have already told you this. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm drawing a blank. Forrest Gump. The guy who says Forrest Gump and hands in the mic. Oh, and yes. Beat, that was wow, Abby sorry. Hoffman. And the guy who says Forrest Gump. Like, just popped. Forrest Gump. And then he oh jumps out. Oh, my God. There, and you're then right. Jenny, Jenny, then Jenny jumps in the water. And then yeah, he goes right. to see Jenny. That's Abby Hoffman. And I was like, oh that's why. And, uh, that's, and he had a weird accent in that movie, too. I don't know what his real accent was. And I don't know what Sasha Brown Cohen was doing in this movie. But I just found that really cool that, that uh, it's the same guy. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And the yeah. interpretations of, of it, very cool. And he got more of like a showcase here. I guess one final performance I want to talk about is Michael Keaton. What did you think of Michael Keaton in, this, in a short-lived role? Sick cameo. Like, I thought it was a great cameo. I yeah. like, I totally forgot Michael Keaton was in this movie when I was watching it. Same. And I, I saw him pop up. Like, like some people were, like, expect, waiting for him to come up. I just totally forgot he was in it. So seeing him in that moment. And then I thought that was another great scene where they're sitting in uh, his office. Right? He's a former attorney general. He's sitting in the office, and he's with uh, – Nixon's uh, attorney general's assistants. I forgot what their jobs, assistant to the attorney general. And then uh, he says, what took you guys so long? I've been waiting to testify against these assholes and stuff like that. I'm like, that was pretty cool. I felt like a little like revved up after that. I'm like, let's go. And it got me like excited for that scene where you're going to see Keaton taking the stand. And uh, I didn't know that much about, and that was also very over dramatized by uh, Sorkin compared to what actually happened with, uh, uh ramsey clark right former attorney general yeah, for lbj and uh but i think that's just him fueling like both sides politically and trying to get the audience at, like like i was hyped up for the final uh like the climax all, yeah all i think the climax nearly the climax yeah i think going back to my earlier point to connect with this is that a lot of the big scenes here at least to me besides uh yaya um besides yaya scenes were outside the courtroom it's for me like this yeah. michael keaton scene that was huge. The Eddie Redmayne scene when he's getting interrogated by Mark Rylance 
uh, in the house and doing the shit, uh, the cops taking off, taking off their badges in front of the, at the democratic convention, like these majors. And then the Hill scene, those three scenes were outside the courtroom in a Sorkin movie. That was just a shock to me and kind of disappointing as all the courtroom scenes with all these characters, only two of them were on the stand and both were very short lived. Sasha Baron Cohen's witness stand scene did not do enough for me. I know I, I mentioned that in the thermometer predictor thinking like, Oh, that was going to win in this Oscar now. It was a second. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't even the best witness uh, it scene. It barely happened. Yeah. So the best scenes were outside the courtroom, which I thought were ridiculous and not proper, especially when the way this movie ends with you still get the background shot of the courtroom in, in its entirety and Langella slamming the hammer just that's where the show is. That's where like the field is, the battleground. And it just, none, none of the, the greatest moments were there. Yeah. So it's just like, I, that's where it just didn't live up to the hype. Cause you look at a Sorkin movie, right. In a courtroom, those are going to be the fire scenes. That's where this, that's where most of the movie takes place. But it's kind of weird just to see that um, not, not happen. It just didn't connect like as much as the outside scenes. Um, I also want to bring up really quick. I thought it was really weird. Like they almost had a romantic subplot that didn't exist with like Jerry Rubin's character and the undercover cop. Yeah. I was just like, why are they forcing this right now? <laughs> it just felt really weird that they were kind of bringing it up a lot. Like Jerry Rubin kept yeah. saying like, and he was like in love with her. I'm just like, I just like, do you think this happened too? Like, no way. It's like they were forcing some type of romantic subplot. That one that just wasn't there. Yeah. Know? They're forcing it so much that they involved it in with uh, JGL and the Christmas uh, park scene. And he's like, like Oh, did she ever too. talk to me about me? There's no yeah. way she would talk about you to JGL because JGL right. wasn't involved in any of those undercover. Like and he just sounded dumb. Like, it just, yeah, just, it's just whatever. but um, yeah. So, uh, Flex, what's your score? So, I know we have, we've never reviewed Molly's game, but if I had to give my rating out of 100 for that, I would say an 88 out of 100. Okay? Maybe even an 89, close to a 90, but not a 90. This movie, I thought, was far uh, inferior to that, to Sorkin's first outing. Not because, like, yeah, this is a historical event that is very well known. Molly's game is kind of sexier just because Chastain was like, the, there, was a, there was a pure main character in that movie where you could follow. And that story was just so interesting and so unique that it kind of gained your attention even more than this, even though this is so impactful in the history of this country. This just didn't live up to the hype for me. And watching a second time, just having not a main character, like a pure main character like there is in Molly's game, I thought really drew it back. And then there were a lot of just imbalances throughout the movie that we've mentioned, such as in the music or just these performances where you have a great performance outside the courtroom, but not inside the courtroom. I thought there was just, it was unbalanced, but still overall, it's a good movie worth a watch for sure. Even a second time, if you really want to 76 out of hundred for me, 76, I'm going to go 84 Ricky flex. Uh, I was initially higher on it. I was like, I got a like, high eighties, Really, 90. the first time I, I mean, I love the topic. I thought it was an amazing potential story you could tell, right? It's just like something very unheard of bringing together uh, eight very uncommon people from different organizations and then putting them under the same uh, case. I thought it was wild. And I love the actors here. And I thought there was some, some very, very good performances, none award worthy, I don't think. Although I did love uh, a couple of them. Then uh, I, the ending did not match my uh, the, the uh, 
high anticipated climax and I thought the very well done climax. And uh, I think honestly, the music did throw me off as well. I, I gave, yeah, so I'm going with 84. Yeah, like there were like a lot of good, good to great aspects of this movie. Like the montages I thought were very unique. Like on the witnesses testifying, all those undercover agents, and they keep doing the flashbacks back to each one interacting with one of the uh, defendants. I thought that was very interesting. And then the uh, Sasha Baron Cohen uh, uh, stand up, the kind of the narrating aspect I thought was very unique as well and a good uh, use of narration, but also kept you even more interested compared to like an Antonio Campos and devil all the time. Right. Right. Where they're explaining yeah. the most simple things. And he's just saying, she's just trying to connect you maybe to like a flashback or something. Right. Like that. So yeah, it was great. And, and he was mm-hmm. the most exciting character to watch in this movie too. And one last point I just thought of, I think with the, I've what maybe the biggest drawback for me in this movie, even though I thought it was very interesting, I just thought it wasn't big enough was when Eddie Redmayne's getting, testified by Mark Lance, like like uh practice testified I guess uh in the house that we mentioned that was and he and the grammar mistakes that he makes while speaking is like the big moment and mm-hmm. Sasha Barracone realized that like besides Sorkin writing that like who else would ever write that yeah like come <laughs> on like A grammatical error <laughs> like that's why they riot that's like it, that could be the true I don't know but like you fudge or you kind of like made believe some other aspects like we mentioned with Dellinger and thing and other things you could do something else you right. could have done anything to make it more like relatable to the audience and more obvious because I like wasn't positive that's what it was because I was like no way that's like the reason I, I had to second guess myself right I, I should have looked that up I, like I, I don't believe that either but it was such an unusual trial and you could have, it, it was dramatic no matter how you wrote it. And like, you didn't have to over dramatize it. It was already yeah. super dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole world was watching the whole world was watching, which is a like, good, that was good. Like good. Uh, that was like great. As in like, I literally like that, like connection to the movie. I thought that was perfect. Especially yeah. topical. As you said, great. Very topical. Uh, yeah. So that does it for, the trial of Chicago seven, Ricky flex. I'm going to throw it over for the top billing to you. All right, Dr. O, this is a big weekend. I know we have COVID kind of stinks with Halloween, but you know what? That doesn't mean we still can't eat candy. Top billing this week is best Halloween candies. This Let's is big. This might get contentious, but we can get started. And um, last week we did, Sandlerverse, best side Adam Sandler uh, characters for our top billing, and Dr. O had the number one overall pick. This week, your boy Ricky Flicks has the number one overall pick. <laughs> We're just going to alternate. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. So, unless you want to roll the die again, I don't mind. You can have it. Yeah, we'll roll the die. Now that no, 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 it no, sounds no, like you're no. second guessing. I thought I had a, a distinct advantage last time because I had the first overall pick. I think it's nice that if you get the first overall pick this time. I don't know if it's a clear cut number one for this, but uh No, it's okay. We'll roll the die. Call it in the air. You call Odds it. are even. You call it in the air and I'll trust your judgment because I called the last one. Okay. I didn't call it in the air. Yeah, you I'm just we just roll. I, I just you rolled it. I, I forgot. I yeah. All right, all right. Evens. It was a two. Okay. All right. So I have the first overall pick. So we did all of that for nothing. Okay, Very great. Sure. We're doing wasted this over Zoom. So I, I don't Fantastic. know if that was actually all on camera there, but we'll we'll get him the first pick. Well, I showed you the two. Okay. First yeah. overall pick, Reese's Cups. 
Reese's Cups. Peanut that butter chocolate flavor. Than, that was an easier pick than Shooter McGavin last week. That's how obvious that one was. You think? Close. Yeah. Like, there was no one contending for me. Um, I had a contender, but I, I'll say it at the end, I guess. Uh, so, Reese's Cups, number one for Ricky Flicks. You want to talk about it at all, Flicks? Peanut butter chocolate flavor. I think, I think Reese's cups, Reese's cups. That is the number one trading candy. If I am when I was a kid and even now, like if I had to trade a candy for a candy, I'm looking to acquire Reese's cups and I'm looking to hold on to Reese's cups. Yeah. And like, it's, it can't be like the ones that are in that wrapper. It's gotta be like the ones that are in the orange wrapper, not like the mini uh, skin tight ones. You know what I mean? The ones that are like a little cup it has gotta be like, or that's bad to say. Like it's got to be the ones that are like bigger, so you have two bites out of it. Oh, so you're yes, yeah, so not, not the bite size ones. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. yeah. You're I just want to make that clear. Candy. You pass those out, you are the people do Halloween passer outer of all time. Yeah, but Reese's <laughs> Cups <laughs> number one. No, that's an obvious one. I don't even think it was close. Um, I think you have to go if you go with a number one pick here. It has to be a staple. Like, I don't think you can go crazy here. You can't be throwing some obscure candy that only two houses give out of 100 that you go to. I'm going Snickers with my number one pick. Good pick. I think that is – that's like – there's like in my opinion, there's a big three for Halloween candy where they're like the obvious, like, candy bars you get, whether they can be big or small. But I'm going to go with Snickers as my my, number two overall, my number one pick. Interesting. Snickers was in my top top five in my big board. Not my number two. Because my number two is Kit Kats. Kit mm-hmm. Kats. You could split I knew, them I knew, too. That's the big three right there. That's the big three. Kit Kat is, I think, besides, like a Reese's Cup is a perfect candy. But Kit Kat is a perfect sharing, but also keep. And you could split it so it's very, it's very handheld. And I think that's perfect for a kid eating Halloween candy. Perfect. Kit Kats, number two. The reason I didn't go Kit Kat with uh, my first overall pick is not as good commercials. I'm a peanut butter guy. I like peanut butter. And I like mm. nuts, and I gotta go with. Sn- I had to go Snickers, but Kit Kat. I think that rounds out the top three. I thought you were gonna say because of Betty White and the Sn- other Snickers commercials. Oh, I do love this. <laughs> I do love the Snickers commercials, especially just eat the- a Snickers. Yes, just eat a Snickers and you'll feel great. <laughs> Dead. You're, <laughs> you're not yourself today. Exactly. There, All right, Doctor O. We go. I'm going to go, this is a little obscure, but everyone, some people hand these out. I'm going to go peanut M&Ms. Peanut M&Ms as the fourth overall pick, my second rounder. Um, I like them better than regular M&Ms. Uh, I think they, they're, if I go to a gas station, I know this is best Halloween candy, but if I go to a gas station, what kind of candy am I looking for? A bag candy usually, and I love peanut M&Ms. They're my go-to. So I sneak those in the pocket. I can just dump them in my pocket after I open it up. When I coach sports, I rip them open. I dump them in my pocket. I eat them as I coach. Little known secret. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, my third overall pick is going to be a little – it's going to be a a staple. I guess it's not in the top three, but – it was my number three overall. So I'm getting my first three picks overall. I kind of have to have the Milky Way. <laughs> Jonah Hill, this is the end. Milky Way is my number three pick. Wow. That is very popular in our neighborhood. There were so many Milky yes. Way. I think that's kind of why it resonates with me so much is that I've had it so much as a kid. Not as much as a Kit Kat or a Reese's Cup, but a Milky Way, just the name itself. 
just wants you to devour it. I think that's a polarizing pick the more I look at it. Polarizing? Yeah, I think people are like... They like, don't like Milky Ways? No, I love Milky Ways. No, no, I'm not saying it'll be polarized for me, but you put that graphic up there on Twitter, I don't know how people are going to respond. You're going to have some lovers, and I think you're going to have some people like, uh, it's a little down the list. No one hates Milky Ways. Mm-hmm. No one hates Milky Ways. There's something similar to a Milky Way that everyone hates that yes. we'll talk about. After. Yes, I agree with that. But you know what? This is Ricky like, Flicks' oh, top billing. Was that? This is Ricky Flicks' top billing. I know, the but then we're, we're also playing, like we're also picking for like, okay, we're going to put this on social media. Who, does people, who do people agree with? You know? The same. They agree with me every time. <laughs> Not last week. We'll keep that under wraps. Okay, Dr. O, your third overall pick. Twix. Twix is my number three pick. See, no. I, I, I like... What? The commercials are great, but a Milky Way compared to a Twix. Would you rather have a Twix or a Milky Way? Well, it, the, the thing with a Twix, it has the crisp to it that a Milky Way does not. It has that wafer inside of it, right? Is that Twix wafer in that? Uh, well, it has the crispiness to it. They got yes, something it does. inside there. I'm pretty sure it's a wafer, but you t- mix that in with the caramel, the chocolate. I like the crispness and, and the packaging sparkly stands out when you open the bag and you spray it on the table. Also a valuable trade commodity. Not a ton of houses are, uh, are dishing Twixes out, right? Maybe like you re- regularly people are throwing out Snickers Reese's. Uh, I think Twix is one of the luxuries that you find in a candy box or a candy bag. So that's my number third, number three pick. It's not a bad pick, but outside of my top five on my big board, I'm getting my fourth in a row. Believe it or not, Three Musketeers. I'm a big oh, fan of Three Musketeers. That's what you know. No, that, that, that was what I'm talking about. You're a Three Musketeer guy? No, Three Musketeers. What? Terrible. I thought Terrible. you were talking about a take five. Oh, my gosh. You don't like a Three Musketeer? No. Why? No. I, the, the puffiness of it when you bite into it, there's nothing on the inside. It's like I'm eating a – like it's almost like a marshmallow thing. I hate the texture. But no, I'm out. No way I'm going three months. I can't believe you don't like a three I might be the minority here. I could be the minority. It's like a it's fluffy. But it's like it has that whip to it. Like Milky Way. It's like I feel like I either have a Milky Way or three musketeers. I'm usually choosing between the two, and I'm taking Milky Way every time. But like I think that's also our neighborhood, and they always gave out three musketeers. I think that's why I don't like them. Wow. I, I, again, I, too passionate about I love I love the logo as well. I love the logo, the silver wrapping and the font. I think I it's fantastic. I can't believe you had it in your top five. I do. I do. I, no, well, no, no, I get it. You have it like here. Hollow, like 10, again, it's a Halloween long. candy. Like I have some honorable mentions that aren't Halloween candies that I can't pick that would easily beat out almost I, all I, my I'm top four already one that's like a very like i don't know if it's a halloween candy but i might save that for my fifth pick and then it's up for a veto potentially we'll have to review it but three musketeers number four for ricky flicks on to you okay you know what i got to pick i gotta pick a candy that is not all chocolate okay i love chocolate I can't only do chocolate though. Like I, I got, my teeth are getting all gummy, like all, all mess, not gummy, but like all chocolatey. My gums are filled with it. Like sometimes it's good to get some fruitiness in there. So I'm going to hit me with a starburst here. Uh, okay. Starburst. This was the, so I, so Starbucks, yeah, starburst was going to be those little three packs, right? Or two. Okay. So, all right, just to stop you for a second. So I was going to pick starburst next. So good pick, but are we doing all starburst? Or are you going to do a color starburst? 
I think we should do all. Like, because like when you're getting it in a candy bag, it's not like you just get one. It's just you get a mix of three of them. Okay, but what is your? I think it's actually starburst? two in, in like a candy style. That's why that's not a great pick. Is it? Is it it's a good pick. Three? A great pick because you only get two. I think in the candies in the Halloween style ones. Wow, that sucks. So it's like you got to make them. You, hopefully, you're opening that up and you get like an orange and a pink. Like if you don't get yeah. the, the duo, like you're kind of like, ah, oh, man, it's not that great. But uh, that that's why it's number four and not two or one. Well, what's your favorite color? Oh, I'm a pink guy. I'm a pink guy. I'm an orange guy. I know you are. We've I had love orange. I like, I like pink though. Color orange, but pink I don't. Would, like... Pink would be in my top three. I brought I what I did the other day. Flex. Remember what I did at the bar the other day? You drop Starburst and you drink like a maniac. Yeah. So like if it's Halloween time, sometimes I'll carry a couple Starbursts with me to the bar. You get like a, a drink and I drop a couple Starbursts in it and I and I make sure I dig the Starburst in at the end. I couldn't get it early, like uh, last weekend. So I was like digging my hand all the way into the glass and Ricky Flex was like embarrassed to be around me. But, lunatic. Uh, Absolute I, lunatic. I might do it again tonight. I don't know. Oh my God. Okay. Well, my number five. For my round out my top billing, regular M&M's, regular M&M's. I personally like them better than peanut M&M's. I knew I was going to get them no matter what because I know Dr. O picked peanut M&M's. Wasn't going to go double M&M, peanut, uh, regular M&M's, Ricky Flicks number five. Good pick for sure. And that's a classic. And it's like, it's one of the, that might be like, top, that's, a, that's, in, that's on the Mount Rushmore of Halloween candy for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Big decision here. So I want to pick a candy, but I don't know if it's like a Halloween candy. What we got? I'm going to lay it on you. And um, I don't really care if like, if you don't veto it, I'm going to keep it. And then like, I don't know if it's going to get me any votes because it's like not a Halloween candy, but I love a good, if I go to a gas station, I get this candy, Nutrageous bar. Is Nutrageous a small style, like Halloween style, or is that too big of a candy? I've never, like, you can have it, as in, like, you put it on your list, but I've never seen anyone hand it out or heard anyone say it's their favorite. So, like, you can have it. I'm, like, I don't... Reese's not rageous. Like, I don't even know, because it's been forever. I, I think they might have came out, like, after I was done trick-or-treating. So, I don't well, know... Ha- how about you give a little background of not rageous? Not rageous. It's basically a Reese's bar, and it's got nuts in it. It's amazing. That's a Halloween but, candy. Yeah. I don't, but it's not... I don't know if it. I don't even know if they sell it in small things. I think they do. I think well, you go you go to the rich parts of your neighborhood, or not in your neighborhood, but like other neighborhoods, I guess. And yeah, that's you, they might deliver them out like those big king size Hershey bars, which honorable mention on this list. I don't know how I didn't put it on, but didn't. But you could just go to those rich neighborhoods, and they might have those big suckers like that. Right. I think I. Man, it's I'm on gonna, there. I'm gonna take it. Not outrageous. I think but, people. Some people might not even know what that is. Like I think that, I, that's uh, why I said you should probably explain it. Yeah, so Nutrageous is basically a, a Reese's. It is. It's a Reese's. It's, it's called Reese's Nutrageous. It's a the yeah. Reese's bar, and it's got nuts. If I get any candy bar at a gas station, I always get the peanut M and M's, like like because they're a bag or something. But if I was to get a candy bar, Nutrageous, hundred times out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into honorable mentions, I'll just do a recap. Ricky Flicks' top billing, Reese's Cups, Kit Kat, Milky Way, Three Musketeers, M&M's, regular. Dr. Rowe, Snickers, Peanut M&M's, Twix, Starbus, Starburst, whoops, Nutrageous. All right, honorable mentions. Dr. Rowe, what you have? 
uh, Hershey's bar for sure, yeah. just because of the uh, sentimental impact it has for me. Cause I was born in Hershey, Pennsylvania. My, some people might think I'm my uh, quote unquote hometown because I didn't pick it, but I actually was not, I never lived in Hershey. I was born on vacation. So uh, yeah, but I also had another honorable mention that it's not a candy, but uh, what one of our neighbors used to hand out is Twinkies. Oh, great. That was yeah. a couple of years. That was a couple of years. They handed out like Frankenstein Twinkies that were green before t- Twinkies went extinct for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's, those were my Twinkies uh, and peanut butter M&Ms, peanut butter M&Ms. But I didn't, I never really got those not when I was in. Not the same. I, if I you said really that, it would have been a, ugh, from me. And I think I made a mistake also on my fifth pick because um, I was going to go Reese's Pieces and I didn't do it. I thought you were, so that that was going to be a honorable mention on mine. I didn't want to say that since I already had Reese's Cups, but I love Reese's Pieces. I I, I love, I, I think I used to, I used to love Reese's Pieces, but at the same time, I've now grown an affinity for peanut M&Ms as the alpha in that category. Really? Alpha to Reese's Pieces? E.T. Yeah. would be disappointed in you. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm surprised. Movie. Another one you like, Skittles. I thought you were a big Skittles guy. No, not a big Skittles guy. No, not guy. a big Skittles guy. No. Good to if know. I get any handheld candy like the pop in my mouth, it's peanut M&M's, Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then one other one that was on my big board that I didn't pick because I don't really consider it a Halloween candy. It's just a regular candy. M&M pretzels. Ah, I knew you were M&M pretzel so guy. So good. That's like my candy when you go guy. to the when you go to the uh, gas station. That's what I get. Pretzel M&Ms. So good. My lord, in the blue bag. Perfect. It was also pop uh, Heath Bar. I'm not a big Heath Bar guy. I, 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 I used to like it a lot more when I was younger, but I wasn't going to put it in my top five. And Ricky, for my reference list, I could show you this. On my last place, I wrote last i made a list of 20 last three musketeers i wrote 20 i like them I and like i went them. last i i it's last and it's I might, showing I might, right now three musketeers i might be confusing it with a take five but i don't think so take i five, I, I think is good i think i haven't had that in a long time but i think it's good i'm either i'm no I, i'm not backing down i think it's a three musketeer i'm thinking of the wrapping's too good for it not to be good yeah no no, no. that's why i'm keeping it but all right, so that's our top billing for today. Reese's Cups, Kit Kat, Milky Way, Three Musketeers, M&M's, regular for Ricky Flicks, Snickers, Peanut M&M's, Twix, Starburst, Nutrageous for Dr. O. That's a wrap, kid. Okay, so what we're doing next, right? So we're actually going to start doing this on a weekly basis that we now have season two of The Mandalorian dropped its first episode of the season last night at 12 this morning we should say at midnight and uh flicks and i when and nez when he eventually comes back we'll be going over quick uh recaps of each episode so flicks we had the mandalorian episode one season two all right and these we are going to be all spoilers yes like 100%, like 100% we, spoilers we're, we're to have some fun talk about what we saw so a little heads up if you haven't seen episode one yet of season two so, uh, Ricky Flex, we had episode one, season two of The Mandalorian. Okay, much yes, sir. Series. We talked about the trailer. Absolute fuego. All right, we're back. John Favreau, right? Pedro Pascal, Baby Yoda. Episode one. What do you think, Flex? 
Very cool. Very cool. I think it's a good, just quick synopsis of the episode. Very cool. The You get another look at Tatooine, the Western style Star Wars yet again, even though not as creative maybe as they went back to the same spot. It was very cool that you still got that Western style and you had that nostalgia factor in this one, right? They kind of lure in all these Star Wars fans, get them all giddy with the Boba Fett suit, even though it wasn't him. And you had the crate dragon, 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 dragon that you saw on a new hope, the skeleton and that, that was kind of cool to see an actual one. Like that was really cool. And the way that with the special effects and everything, like a sea, like a sea monster through the sand, very cool. And then going back to the Boba Fett suit, Timothy Oliphant, the king of like Western style acting, right? Deadwood, uh, right when like the scene, like when you get introduced to him, right? In the scenes, like let's let's get like drinks over here. I immediately said, "Oh, it's Timothy Oliphant," and like I thought, like once upon a time, him and Leo. It's like, oh, bring my guest a drink and a bowl of beans or whatever it was. Like I just thought of that movie immediately. So very cool, nostal and the nostalgia factor really, really uh, spiked it spiced it up for me. What about you, Doctor L? I thought it was pretty much a like perfect mandalorian episode in the fact that it was it had everything if you were a star wars fanatic this was amazing and if you weren't a star wars fanatic it was very very good right so you didn't have to be a star wars crazed person to enjoy this episode um but if you are a fanatic this this absolutely hit this slapped like you had um you had Tatooine just being mentioned and then going to Tatooine, right? You have Luke Skywalker stands shaking in their boots out of excitement like that. Like they were going nuts for that. And then you, or you have him communicating the man, Mando communicating with uh, the Tusken Raiders, right? The Tusken sand, Raiders. The sand people. And like seeing that was incredible. And just like, like, as I said before, like having Tatooine, Tatooine is like the planet I think of in Star Wars. Like they tell, like they say, we're talking Star Wars. I think of Tatooine, like immediately. Yeah. Um, New Star- Hope. We're talking about the first scene ever in a Star. The f- first scene ever in Star Wars takes place on this planet, and the last in the sequel trilogy takes place on this planet. Like it's a very meaningful place, and just and by it season by episode one taking place here, that you know you know there's gonna be a lot of nostalgia for this season. And there's gonna be a lot of excitement. And then when they were facing that monster, what was the, what type of monster was it? The, the crate, crate dra- dragon. The crate, the crate dragon. Yeah, like in a New Hope, you see the skeleton, right? Yeah. Like when C three PO and R two D two are like lost. And then also, the we had a, yeah, also, before I go back into the crate dragon, we also had a shout out to the Jawas, right? The Jawas are in this again, yeah. yes. But um, I wanted to. I got a lot of like Western vibes. Okay, we're walking through the town. People are looking at the cowboy, right? The foreigner, the Mando. Yeah, Western style. Right? That's exactly what it felt like. And you had the showdown with Timothy Oliphant with a great guest appearance, right? You got them like, uh, sh- like zooming Favro, sh- uh, zooming in on both of their faces. Oliphant with a hand around the revolver, ready to go, right? Classic duel type of like showdown. And then I also got the also had the uh, Star Trek type of vibe with the Crate Dragon, where you got okay, we got to take down this dragon, right? And we have to like handle this before we go on to the bigger task which is basically getting information from this new sheriff, right. To get um, baby Yoda back to his people. So I also got like some uh, game of Thrones vibes with uh, like the trebuchet type of thing, like the arrow, whatever. I don't know what that was. Not trebuchet. So you had Daenerys Targaryen. I heard dragon trying to, 
like attack the stomach and really ripping through. Right. That's why I, I just felt like game of Thrones slash star Trek starts like slash Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it was electric. Yeah. Like I thought the action scenes were really good, but like kind of what you said, like it's similar to season one where it's just, what's the, but we like, know it's coming now. We know that there's going to be like offshoots. Like they're not going to be on track. It's not a movie. I know, but just oh, not moving there. the plot along is so annoying. Like, right. and for a show like this, that's so much hype and a praise around it. Like, like if it, like if this wasn't Star Wars and they did this, it would get sh- it would get crapped on all uh, all day long. I don't know. It don't, would. It would. You wouldn't know. Like I don't. Like I don't know. If, if you went off the plot by that much just to do these side. Uh, side uh, adventures like a video game like going on these side adventures like do you want to do this you don't have to but it's like going off the beaten plot you like you always say no to those like doing these is just is it's so annoying as it's great to watch for like a nostalgia point of view with the tuscan raiders and cool to see just the action scenes of the mandalorian and like it just shows how much of a boss he is but it's just annoying Right, you can incorporate those great action scenes, like the first scene. The first scene was badass with him, just uh, that was like season one the, in the first episode where he's. But it advanced the plot because he found out, okay, this is where Timothy, or this is where the Mandalorian is going right. to be, who's going to help me find uh, Baby Yoda's people, which not wasn't obviously the case because he wasn't a Mandalorian in the end. But still, advanced the plot with a cool action scene. This, like, it was just, a distraction. Yeah, right? again, role, but they had to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess they didn't have to do it. He needed like like. He, he wanted, I guess it was a distraction because he wanted the uh, steel, like from the guy. He wanted the man, Mando suit. Yeah, and that's probably going to play a factor because at the end of this episode, you get the guy who played Boba Fett's dad in Attack of the Clones, the ball right. guy. So Blame like Boba he's, Fett. yeah, so he's going to probably play Boba Fett, right? So mm-hmm. that's probably going to connect at some point. So this probably did have a meaning just like for the nostalgia factor at the end probably, but like it just that was kind of annoying to me because where I was hoping that they wouldn't do that again with these just side storylines. But then again, like I still loved it. Like I was still, my eyes were glued to the screen. Me too. Like I, I, like I was pumped to watch it. I thought it lived up to my excitement. Like, it, like it was, it provided the action I wanted to see. It had the Western vibe. It was shot very well too. I will yeah. say like Favreau, like it was just, it looked awesome. Like, just like, like I mentioned with the crate dragon and the sea and the sand moving up and down and the like cinematic Dune. like Dune. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just the and the actual dragon was actually so cool, like very well done. I was very impressed by that because once it was fully out, like you could see its whole body, you could see you could see like wow, okay, that's actually impressive. It wasn't just like its head, like you would see in like episode Star- four, five, or six. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So I was very impressed by that and the action sequences. I was very impressed. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm excited for episode two, and we'll definitely go over that one next time we're here. Yeah. But any other thoughts on Netflix? The Timothy Oliphant before like uh, um, Mando left him, he was like, May- "Hopefully, we, are we, we cross our paths again." And he's in Tatooine, like, no doubt he's going to be in another episode, either yeah. in this season okay. or the he's next. I can't wait master. to see, he's and I can't wait to see that because I think he's so great. I think like he's in, he's in some bad movies, like he's in um that movie with that kid who's he's like in the girl next door. Oh yeah. Um, but he's in that movie when he's protecting this kid who's a superhero type thing. I forget. I am number four or something. Uh, it sounds familiar. Yeah, I am number four or number four. I, I am number four. I think one, is. But I, I think he's I, like the protector or whatever, and he's a pretend to be his dad or something. Like he's in those role, like weird roles, and right. he deserves more than that. And like 
he was in a Tarantino movie and he did very well in my eyes. And he's in like, he was in the first ever like premiere HBO series. Like he, he and he was the star of that, like in, as in Deadwood, just, he deserves more. I think. Cowboy. He's in justified too. Like, he, like justified. He's, he's, he's great as a cowboy. Yeah. That's I why just, he's in the show. I bet. Yeah. So it was just good to see him on, on, in like a well-known thing again, something that's like big and, and us, um, on social media and the culture nowadays with the Mandalorian. It's just great to see him in this as well. Yeah. I'm excited to see him in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So that does it for episode one recap of the Mandalorian. Stay tuned for next week for episode two. That also wraps up, right? Episode 10 of the drive in pod. All right. Uh, Rick, anything else? Say goodbye to everybody. Borat two next week, our review. Let's go. Oh yeah.